today's scripture reading um, is is from First Samuel chapter eight, and from First Samuel chapter nine, from verses one to fourteen. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. The name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, "Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations." But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, "When they said, give us a king to judge us." So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel. Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king, and he said, "This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you, and he will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equip his chariots." He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to work. Put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day, because your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, "No, but we will have a king over us, that we may that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles." And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, "Heed their voice and make them a king." And Samuel said to the men of Israel, "Every man go to his city." Um, chapter nine. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite. A mighty man of power, and he mighty man of power, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. The children of Israel, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, Saul's father, were lost, and Kish Kish said to his son Saul, "Please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys." So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. 
when they had come to the land of zuf saul said to his servants servant who was with him come let us return lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us and he said to him look now there is there is in this city a man of god and he is honorable and he is an honorable man all that he says surely comes to pass so let us go there perhaps he can show us the way that we should go then saul said to his servant but look if we go what shall we bring the man for the bread in our vessels is all gone and there is no present to bring to the man of god what do we have and the servant answered saul again and said look i have look i have here at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver i will give that to the man of god to tell us our way formerly in israel when a man went to inquire of god he spoke thus come let us go to the seer for who for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer then saul said to his servant well said come let us go so they went to the city where the man of god was as they went up the hill to the city they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them is this here here and they answered them and said yes there he is just ahead of you hurry now for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place as soon as you come into the city you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat for the people will not eat unless until he comes for he must bless the sacrifice afterward bless the sacrifice afterward those who are invited will eat now therefore go up for about this time you will find him so they went up to the city as they were coming into the city there was samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place let's pray our lord and heavenly father we thank you for this wonderful day that you have given us we thank you for helping us all to gather here today and learn from your word oh lord um i pray for uh, stanley uncle as he'll be ministering from your word i pray that you would speak through him oh lord and that um you would help us all to pay attention and we would be able to understand um everything that is being spoken here today oh lord give um stanley uncle the guidance and strength he requires to deliver the sermon today and all i ask in the precious name of the lord and savior jesus christ amen good morning all okay am i audible to all yes okay great thank you steve for reading the long narrative we will be looking at today uh, i request you all to keep keep us keep me in prayers as well as we are going to look into this passage a man was once questioning god's arrangement of the universe he said why does god make big tree with small seeds and a small plants with a large watermelons it doesn't make sense to me just then a nut fell from the tree and hit his head he said ouch thank god it's not a watermelon <laughs> we as christians all believe in god's sovereignty isn't it we all believe that god is sovereign but often we consider god's sovereignty when when we are when things are unknown to us when things are going out of control and we are we we felt that we are totally not able to do anything further this understanding of god's sovereignty is shallow man centered and we are trying to contain god in a box have we considered god being sovereign over human sinfulness 
and working through that? Could it be a judgment on that if God gives us some of our desires according to his sovereign will? Or is it always that whatever God gives is his favor upon us? We will be answering some of these pertinent questions today. Today we will look at um, this, some key lessons from, from God's, on God's sovereignty from the life of Israelites when they chose their first king and trying to answer the, uh, these questions from there. Before we get into the passage, let's briefly understand the uh, context for today's passage or let's understand the first, the book of Samuel itself. We don't know for sure who is the author of the book of Samuel is. Uh, there is no explicit objective evidence that point to any author of or, or who the or human author is. The, you know, the name suggests that it is Samuel, but the death of Samuel is recorded in the, uh, in the chapter 25, and many of the contents, much of the contents is written after that. So he cannot be the only human author of that, uh, of the book of First and Second Samuel. Even if we don't know the who the who the uh, human author is, this book presents us very important uh, lessons on the history of the uh, Israel's monarchy. So the book, the book is named after Samuel because he held uh, three important offices uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel and instituted the fourth one, and he was a central character as well. So he played the role of a priest, which Eli the priest failed to, uh, Eli the priest failed. He was a prophet who brought forth important messages about the uh, monarchy, you know, prophetic messages concerning the monarchy of Saul and David. And he was, he, he was the last and one of the most successful judges of Israel. And as I said, he was in, uh, instrumental in, uh, in bringing the monarchy to Israel and he was the one who anointed Saul and King David. So he was one of the uh, one of the three main characters who who, who was the central to the book of both uh, First and Second Samuel. Then we see Saul as the first king of Israel as the, uh, one of the second character. And, and thirdly, we see David, the greatest of the king, uh, as the central character. The the stories of First and Second Samuel revolves around these three characters. Um, the book, uh, the book has, uh, you know, three main themes. First, God's holy sovereignty, that we'll be looking at today. The reversal of human fortunes, where a barren woman uh, gives birth to get barren, uh, sorry, get barren woman Hannah gives birth to uh, Samuel, the most prominent figure in the in the history of Israel. Saul, from the least of the tribes, become the the first king of Israel, and David. Shepherd boy becoming the king, the greatest of the king, and thirdly, we the we see the king of uh, uh, theme of kingship throughout the book of uh, Samuel. The same th- three themes we will be seeing it uh, in the passage we'll we'll be we'll be looking at today. Now, coming to the immediate context of this this book, uh, the cha- at the end of chapter three, Samuel is established as a one of God's uh, prophet. But between chapter 4, verse 2, until chapter 7, verse 3, Samuel is strangely absent. 
during that time that is when the declination of the nation of israel starts they lost to philistines the ark of covenant was captured um, and it was in a parade to different places so here is a map of where you can see the ark of covenant were transported it was first in dagon's temple in astoth then it was moved to gath and finally it was moved to ekron in philistine but because god's hand was heavy upon these cities god sent plagues on these cities and and they sent the ark back to the israel now when when it reached bersheb uh, bethshemesh in israel there as well god struck the people of israel because they directly look into the ark which is not supposed to be finally it was moved to kiriat jerem in abinadab's house where his son eliazar took care of the ark for 20 years now in chapter 7 um we see that after 20 years the ark of covenant was in abinadab's house there was a spiritual awakening happening in chapter 7 after all the declination we see we see a uh, spiritual awakening happening samuel called all of the israel to mispah and asked them to forsake their foreign gods and renew their relationship with covenant relationship with god now a memorial stone was set up uh, as well in uh, and it was named ebenezer meaning this far god has helped us now we see samuel's leadership at its best in chapter 7 where he is portrayed as a successful judge and a spiritual leader who brought forth re- uh, revival in israel as well as he served throughout the his lifetime uh, in israel now after this success story in chapter 7 we see uh the story of chapter 8 which we read today now again 20 years would have been passed from the end of chapter 7 to the beginning of chapter 8 so now the elders are approaching him when samuel is old with a pressing need they want a king my god it's not working okay yeah just before that okay yeah israel's need for a king uh, was not baseless or an unreasonable request there were certain prevailing condition difficult condition that they were going through uh, they were going through that put forth the such a demand first perversion of social justice as a result of failed succession plan Samuel appointed his sons Joel and Abijah as judges. There was a problem with Samuel appointing his sons as uh, judges. Even though the office of priesthood was hereditary, that is it could pass on from one generation to another, the office of judges or judges are not supposed to be that way. God always raised able leaders from different tribes of Israel when there were there when they were faced with the oppression from the enemies so we see four different judges in the book of bible having uh, as having sons who held the position of leaders uh, leadership following the death of uh, their fathers the three of the cases gideons elias and samuels the sons are portrayed as un- unworthy successors so what what was the problem here rather than 
Samuel waiting upon God to raise an acceptable church following the God's law Samuel failed to trust God in uh, in doing that and when he appointed went ahead and appointed his sons as judges there was another problem here since his sons who were appointed as judges were not walking in the ways of Samuel there are two critical charges brought, brought against them we see that in verse 3 first they took dishonest profit and they took bribes to pervert justice now samuel was staying in rama that was quite far from where his son was bersheba bersheba was at the southernmost tip of the uh, the israel's boundary where simeon were settled so it was almost like 80 kilometers from where samuel was and he couldn't ensure that his sons followed the instruction which was given by his father now when we turn to deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 18 to 20 we don't have detail, uh, time to go into that in detail but we see some clear directives for appointing a judges and how the appointed judges are supposed to conduct the charges against samuel sons are cardinal violations of god's law and that immediately disqualifies from them being a judge so the first predicament we see is the perversion of social justice due to a failed succession plan secondly we see the fear of worsening political condition in the absence of an organized military leadership now during that time there were constant political fights uh, which was happening from the west from uh, from the philistines who used to invade into the uh, israel israeli territory also from the east side ammonites were expand, expanding their territories and under the leadership of nahash now this fear of them is very evident uh, in one of the verses which samuel's recount in chapter 12 i'll read that for you in verse chapter 12 verse 12 where samuel recounts and when you saw that nahash the king of ammonites came against you you said to me no but a king shall reign over us when the lord your god was your king now one of the inner motives was heavily aimed to defeat their oppressive enemies from both the sides that is from west as well as from the east they perceived the need for a more organized military leadership to in the armed conflicts against these people rather than depending on god for giving them the victory they soon forgot how gideon uh, fought against midianites with just 300 people and with a pot and the torch of torch of love so they feared the political uh, worsening of political condition due to the due to a lack of organized military leadership there was a third and even more severe problem throughout the times of time of judges now when we turn to judges chapter 17 uh, to 21 the last five chapters of uh, judges we read some very unpleasant stories of israelites during that time even though these are specific instances happened during that time these stories are to be understood as a general condition of israelites during during that time which which was morally and spiritually degenerated in this chapter one phrase which appears over and over again is in those days there was no king everyone did what was right in their own eyes this phrase is appearing again and again first is appearing in chapter 17 verse 6 then in 18 verse 1 
then 19 verse 1 and the last last verse of the judges which is 21 verse 25 the book of judges and book of samuel are supposed to be read continuously as it is in a hebrew bible we have ruth coming in between that that is following a septuagint order so we see that these these suggest that there was a huge outcry for an apparent need for a spiritual like leader like uh, a king that could possibly fix their uh, their problem of moral and spiritual declination now even though all these these reasons are valid in itself god had a way to address this problem rather than waiting upon god to uh, give them direction what need to be done next people grew impatient sarah made the same mistake when she told abraham to have uh, a child through to to their uh, through their slave hagar to carry on their lineage whenever we grow impatient with the apparent problems that is causing us and bothering us let's not get in the temptation of counseling god and taking things in our own hands rather than let's rather than that let's wait upon god and wait for his direction what what he wants us to do let's wait upon that and move forward in that now in the next verse 4 to 6 we see israel's representatives bringing the request to samuel for a king here the reasons they presented were not the reflection of a problem they were going through but a pretext for a deeper concern inside them so we see here see in verse 4 to 6 israel pretext in asking for a king in verse 4 and 5 we see israel united for a right cause but with wrong motives now we seen that with all these political social and spiritual conditions in background we see a group of uh, elders approaching samuel earlier in chapter 4 verse 3 elders are the one who told the israelites to get the ark of covenant from shiloh to aspect for the fight against israelite the fight against philistines as we all know that that decision was fatally wrong and that you know israel lost in that battle after that now again they the same group of people who you know a group of elders who uh, he who is a representation from the entire tribe of israelites coming and asking a similar, uh, similar problem this kind of unity shows that they are representing a national problem now they present their agenda by telling samuel that uh, reminding samuel about his physical condition that he was incapable to handle the nation like israel because he was old and he doesn't have that caliber to done, do uh, a run a nation like israel but in fact we see that you know in the following chapters of samuel that samuel has done many mighty things even after he was old and you know he went went about uh, the, you know many kilometers walking to uh, bethlehem to anoint uh, jesse's son david we see about killing of agag we see many things like killing agag as king and pre- carrying out many priestly duties so so in fact though the though in fact the samuel, samuel was advanced in his age he was definitely not in, uh, cap- incapable to be a judge of israel if god want him to be so but israel had a different agenda in mind now secondly we see that um they point out 
their son's dishonest way. We have already seen some details of that earlier. Now, the representatives of Israel united for one root uh, cause. They need, they need a king. Though the reason they presented in itself is it's, it's valid in itself, they were a disguise for a deeper problem inside them. The next two pro, uh, points what we're going to discuss will reveal their real intentions. First, uh, we see that Israel's sin of desiring for pagan conformity. Verse 6. We read that they wanted a king to be appointed. Now, what was the fundamental problem in their request for a king? Do you think the problem in king, uh, requesting the king in itself was an issue? No. The real catch was that they wanted a king like all the nations. They don't want an old judge like Samuel or incapable sons of Samuel because they don't match up to their expectation of a king like all the other nations around. Now, this was not the first attempt Israel is uh, making to appoint a king. Now, during the time of Gideon, after he defeated Midianites, he was invited to become a king. Maybe we can turn to that. Judges chapter 8, verse 22 and 23, it reads as, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also. A hereditary monarchy was proposed from the people of Israel during that time. Now, but the, the very, it's very interesting to note the response of the Gideon. Gideon refused saying, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So that was the right response from Gideon. Now in, in Deuteronomy, uh, when God was giving uh, laws concerning the, uh, the law of um, Israel's king, God had already told them about a kind of king who should rule over them and given them guidelines on how a king should be appointed and how a king should rule over them. God wanted any leadership over his people to function under his supreme authority. This includes a king God was going to give them in future. But here the elders are demanding for a king like all other nations. This was violating one of the fundamental principles of Torah. Israel was to be distinct from all other nations around them. Leviticus 20 verse 26, we read it as, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and, so, and have separated you from the peoples, and you shall be mine. They were called to be bridge between the pagan nations and the one true God of Israel. But as we all know, Israel lost its national and spiritual identity and soon became mixed with the pagan culture. From the holy nation, they became a syncretic religion. Israelite, when they entered Canaanite, Canaan, they pursued Canaanite religion. Now they were seeking their political institutions as well. Sadly, the move, to, move for the demand for a king was motivated by desire to conform to the pagan ways. The problem was the de- problem with the demand for the king was their wrong expectation for the kind of king they wanted. That is a king like all the other nations around. Now this is one of the spiritual problems that is plaguing us today as well. We have a constant urge and desire to conform to the worldly standards and take control of our life. Paul reminds us in 
uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 2. We all know that verse. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. When we start comparing with others, that is when we desire to have a conformity with them. Let's be reminded that we have a higher calling, like, you know, like the nation of Israel is. We are called to be a holy nation, as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Now, in verse 7b, we see Israel's second sin. Israel's sin of rejection of theocracy. Now, Samuel goes to the Lord in prayer with all that was put before him. God responds to Samuel's prayer and comforts him in the second part of verse 7, where he says, They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. This was the fun second fundamental problem with their demand. They have rejected God as their king over them. There is an interesting fact about God's plan for Israel's governance over them. But before that, let's understand four basic forms of human civil governance, what is there in the world today. A democracy is where people have the power to choo uh, choose the, their ruling based on the majority, like we have in India. Secondly, we have an oligarchy. The political power comes to person with an affluent, uh, affluent position or a uh, position taken by military force. We have seen that in the case of Gaddafi ruling over Syria some, some years back. Pa uh, in Pakistan, we see Mushraf ruling like that. Now, aristocracy places political power in the hands of small privileged ruling classes like Indulachal ruling the... Uh, the ancient Greeks during that time. And finally, we have the monarchy, where power rests on one supreme power person like a king. Israel was not supposed to be a democracy, an oligarchy, an aristocracy, or a monarchy, but rather a theocracy in which God was their king, no matter what the leadership was. Any leadership God ordained in the nation of Israel, like priests, prophets, judges, and kings, was always supposed to function under the ultimate authority of God as their king. Their clamor for an earthly king was to bring human monarch and reject, reject the theocratic rule of God. Doesn't it make us wonder, how can they reject a good, loving and righteous God who led them all this while? The reason is that they wanted to be a free nation, not under the authority of an invisible God, following his righteous and holy law. What they were declaring was a freedom from God himself, who, is not, who cannot be seen, and they wanted a visible king for themselves. Now, God says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God says to his people, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken the spring of living water and have dug their cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This was the exact two sins the Israelites committed here. They rejected God as their king and they demanded a human monarch like the nations around them. Israel failed to acknowledge that their God is Sovereign over all the king. He rules over every, every nation. Psalms 22 verse 28 says, For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. He appoints the rulers, 
and he possesses according to his decree romans 13:1 god is sovereign means he is the ultimate ruler of the universe and he governs as he wills and nobody can question what he wants what he does rejection of god as a king over them was showing the the sinful state of their heart and not really removing god from their the uh, ruler they were denying god's position as ruler over the entire earth and not wanting to be under his rule who is the king of our life is lord jesus really enthroned in our life we might sing king of my life i crown thee now thine shall the glory be whereas in our life we have the constant desire to take charge of the, our life and be ruler of our life we might not be realizing that but we have our unconscious desire to take control of our life to be on the throne of our life and not give god the position he desires we need to put a conscious effort in replacing god as our king and submit to his kingship over us israel sinned by rejecting god appointed leadership thereby rejecting god himself and wanted a king like all the other pagan nations have thirdly we see god's decree of punishment in uh, for israel's demand from verse 7 to 10 of us chapter 8 Now in verse 7 to 10 God tells Samuel to listen to their words and give them what they wanted but solemnly warned them we can learn some very important lessons of God's sovereignty here from the God's response what is giving to Samuel first God is neither surprised by human evil nor endorses it we see that in verse 8 even though Israel's demand for a king was an evil thing in the sight of God. God was not surprised by their actions. God in fact reminds them of the wickedness they have been doing from the day they have been brought out of Egypt and all throughout. God was not caught off guard that his people rejected him. In fact, God knew that Saul who is going to be the new newly appointed king in future, he also going to disobey him. God in his omniscience as an all-knowing God he has foreknowledge about what is going to happen how these people are going to act and how they are going to react to what it is it was not a failure from God to avoid this from happening but rather it was a part of his sovereign will to uh, to allow this when God allows a human evil he no way endorses it or approves it this also means that he doesn't regret his choice there are verses in the bible which might confuse us to think that god was surprised by what mankind was doing one of the famous verses we all know is genesis chapter 6 verse 6 where uh, in the insta- in the case of noah uh, story of noah god says god regretted that he made man on the earth now we read even more pertinent example in the context of appointing saul as a king we see that in first samuel uh, chapter 15 um, in the verse 11 it says i regret that i have made saul king a similar thought is coming at the end of chapter also in verse 35 but in the same chapter verse 29 it says the glory of israel will not lie or have regret 
for he is not a man that he should have regret here what we need to understand is god in one sense regret about this incident but in another sense he doesn't when god says i feel sorry that i made saul he is not implying that i would not have made saul the king if i knew that he is going to disobey disobey me had i known that i would have definitely have some chosen some other person it is very different from how we react to situation when the out, we know already the outcome of the decision we make all possibility to ensure that you know that a decision will not bring a regret to us for example if i go back from here to my home uh, we go through lingarajpuram sometime you know if i know that the road is blocked i would definitely not take that road i would avoid that road and take other roads that is a human nature but when we talking about god's sovereignty he, god is able to feel sorrow in knowing that an evil is going to happen yet allows it for a wide wise reason here is my paraphrase version of what god is saying there i am grieved that saul has sinned and sorrowful for the consequence that is going to happen if i have to do it all over again my sovereign decree will not change it will be the same my god is an unchanging god it is also good to mention a dangerous theology which is getting popular in the evangelical circle during you know in recent times it's called open theism if you don't know the name don't worry about that this position argues that god does not have exhaustive knowledge of the future but he is open to the future his future plans and emotions depend on the outcome of how humans depend on the actual human choices as i said doesn't really matter if you have never come across this word but it really matters we have the right understanding of god and the right experiences with him because it affects how we relate to our god how we lead our holy life how, what kind of prayers we make and how we relate to others as well if we put faith in a god who does not have a full foreknowledge of the future and is affected by the human choices how can we trust him for the future this position is profoundly wrong unbiblical and not honoring god it is a comforting thought to know that god loves me even when he knows that i am going to fail it is not a license to sin but rather gives me a great sense of responsibility because he is grieved by my sin and he holds me accountable for my sin so if god is not surprised by human sin and does not endorse it why does he allow allow this this brings us to the second point god uses human sinfulness to accomplish his wise purpose yet he is not evil in response to samuel's prayer god says obey their words this phrase is appearing three times in this passage verse 7 verse 9 and verse 22 emphasizing that god is certain about what he is going to allow in other words god is saying that give them their sinful desire of having them having a king this brings us to the the critical question why god allowed the israelites the sinful choices even when he knows the outcome of it it's it's because god is not only all knowing but he is also a wise god he allows it for a wise reason so there are two primary reasons 
why God allows the human sin. Second, he, first, he uses human sins, sin as a means of judgment. Secondly, he uses human sin as a means of accomplish his, accomplish his grand plan in his eternal will. If you look at all the moral evils in this world, all the purposes of God can be broadly classified into these two. God was saying them, you know, when in this narrative, God was saying them that when she given given them a king as a judgment, it was a it was a kind of a judgment on them. Hosea chapter thirteen verse eleven, God says, "I gave you a king in my anger, and took him away in my wrath." God used the sinfulness of this of Israelites to accomplish His wise purpose of judging the nation for their sinful and wicked nature. Now, throughout the scripture, we see many examples of God using the sin of man to to accomplish His greater purpose. That is according to His holy will. Now, I'll quote few of this. Most of us already know, but in this context, it's relevant that we know this. When God created mankind, He said in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight, "Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth." But after the fall of man, we see man uniting for a wicked cause in building the Tower of Babel, with the motive to reach up to heaven, make a name for themselves, so that they cannot be dispersed over the face of the earth. This was exactly opposite to what God was saying in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight: "You are supposed to disperse over all the earth, because that was the creation mandate." God judges them for. For that wickedness and confuse their language, that caused them to spread all over the earth, and that fulfilled his creation mandate of filling the earth. And from Genesis 12, you know the the, the Abraham's covenant, the um, calling out of Abraham, and all makes sense only if the Tower of Babel, what God did, makes sense there. Now we know the story of uh, Joseph. The fag end of the story of. Uh, Joseph in Genesis chapter fifty verse nineteen. Joseph says to his brother, "Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring up bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today." What Joseph saying here is that whatever you did to me is. evil and sinful in the eyes of god but sovereign god of the universe was intimately present in your wickedness and has turned the te- your treachery against me for good so that it can provide a means of living for many nations during the time of drought now in the case of pharaoh he intended evil for the israelites that he not he did not allow deliverance for them at the first place god inflicted plagues as judgment but pharaoh continued in his evil inclination and he was stubborn and he hardened his heart even through all of it god was outworking a dramatic deliverance for his people displaying his glory and power which was the talk of that time and mentioned many times in the scripture romans 9 verse 17 it says for the scripture says to pharaoh for this very purpose i have raised you up that i might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth 
cross of Christ was not an accident. Cross was the most sinful and the wicked thing perpetrated by the human being. All who were involved in that did it with a sinful inclination. Judas who betrayed him meant it for evil. Caiaphas the high priest meant it for evil. Pharisees who schemed against him meant it for evil. Jews who falsely testified him and shouted that to crucify him meant it for evil. Romans who carried out the crucifixion meant it for evil. But over and above the sinful human inclination of fallen human beings, God was at work to provide a way of salvation to humanity. That was the best thing that could happen out of this sin. Now all of these examples, the scripture makes it clear that God used the human sin to accomplish his wise purpose. But in none of these cases, God influenced human to commit the sin or violated the free will to act the way they wanted. All human agents acted in their own sinful inclination out of their free will. All of their sinful act had its punishment and its consequence as well. Now God gave the Israelites what they wanted even when their sin- desire was sinful. By doing so, God is not evil. He was judging them for their wicked act. The worst kind of judgment God can bring to us is leave us to our own sinful natures. Paul, when talking about God's judgment on the unrighteous people in Romans 1 verse 18 on, he gives some sober warnings on God's wrath. I'll read, uh, read certain snippets from that verses. In verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. For, in verse 26, For this reason God gave them up. In verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul here is specifically talking about unrighteous Gentiles who, su- who suppress the truth concerning the God. The pre-exilic nation of Israel was a representative of such kind of people who knew, who, who knew God's power but did not acknowledge him as a God and God's judgment came upon them. There are times when God doesn't give what we ask for. We must be thankful for God for such an answer too. But there are times when God gives what we ask for. Even when God gives us something that we ask for, it's not a sign that God's favor is upon us. It could be very well God's judgment upon us. Israelites complained to God for the vegetarian manna they were having during the wilderness and they wanted non-vegetarian which they were having in Egypt. God gave them the meat. While the meat was between their teeth, God judged them. We read that in Numbers chapter 11 and in Psalms 106 verse 15, uh, Samus recounts that God gave them what they wanted and wasting diseases came upon them. Are we demanding like Israelites or do we, hum- do we have the humility to pray, not my will, but yours be done? We should be asking God whether our desires are really aligned with his scripture, God honoring and bringing glory to his name. I have read the confession of a successful worship leader in the US who was leading a successful ministry. But he was, his life was, du- he was, he was leading a life of duplicity. He could manage a 
his ministry successfully for very well while he was in the deep of his sin. He was struggling with a sexual sin. He justified his action by saying that God didn't answer his prayers. Now hear what he was praying. God, if you want me to quit going to the strip club, take my voice away from me. But his singing stayed strong. The ministry in his church flourished. He kept right living in the darkness of what he thought was a secret sin. God in his mercy finally caught him and he came to his senses. Success in the ministry in itself is not a sign that God has endowed your ministry and is not a sign that God has a favor upon you. This applies to a family life, life, family life, education and career or any other things what we look into. Success in any of this area is not a sign of God's, uh, God's favor. On the contrary, outward fruitless labor is not a sign that God has disproved your ministry as well. Dr. William Leslie was a missionary to the Congo who, was, uh, who ministered there almost 17 years. He, he came back to US and while he was dying, he, he thought he couldn't make a single conversion there uh, in his 17 years of fruitless, outwardly fruitless ministry. But many decades later, thriving churches were discovered in the hidden jungles where he served. We are called to be faithful to his scriptures and to his calling, not to be successful. My dear brothers and sisters, if you are in a habitual sin, in, a, in sitting in a comfort zone, thinking that everything around me is going smoothly, then we are in a very dangerous spot. Every sin we commit have consequences. Sometimes it has a far-reaching consequences than we can ever think of. The consequence of David's adulterous relationship with Bechiba and murder of Uriah was not just immediate. The immediate consequence was that his son died and they had emotional trauma they had to go, go, go through. But his sin had a far-reaching consequence than he thought of. Many years later, his son Amnon, consumed with, with lust for his sister Tamar and violated her. Amnon repeated the son of uh, Amnon repeated the sin of his father David, but this sin was even more grievous because it was an incestuous act. What is even worse was David did not take any further actions against his son as a father or as a king. This led to uh, enmity between David and Absalom. When people fall into grievous sin, their moral senses are inevitably affected. Their ability to sense evil is often lost. Because David sinned with Bathsheba, his moral senses were dulled and failed in discerning the affairs of his own household and dealing with his son properly. God works through the human sinfulness to accomplish his wise purpose. The purpose could be a judgment on us to discipline or even a greater good within his eternal purpose. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All things include uh, even our wickedness and sinfulness. In verse uh, 11 to 22, we see uh, Israel proceed against God's warning. God tells Samuel to warn them of the king who is to come over them, uh, rule over them. In verse 11 to 18, 
we see king's demand in contrast to israel's expectation from the king now in verse 11 to 18 we read the characteristics of the king who is going to rule over them now in describing the characteristics samuel focuses on letting the people know that your expectation from a king is not going to be met in the king you are going to get israel expected that the king is going to administer the law give righteous judgment give military leadership and give peace and uh, protection for his subject but quite contrary to that what is told about the king is the keyword to watch take that is used six times in this contest people's expectation for a king was give and not take this warning is a portrayal of an oppressive control of a king on an israelite lives families and possessions if you look at the verses from that 11 to 18 uh, there are at least six places where king is going to interfere verse 11 your sons verse 13 your daughters verse 14 the best of your fields vineyards and olive groves you remember the case of naboth where ahab uh, wanted that then verse 15 you see your seeds and your vintage verse 16 your servants and maid servants the best of your cows and your donkeys and verse 17 your cow cattle and your uh, cattle and yourself if you look at the history of israel all of these uh, characters were a hallmark of many of the different king it was not apparent in the case of saul but it became very clear when solomon started ruling when rehoboam uh, the son of solomon became king people came to him and started complaining him in verse uh, chapter uh, 12 of first king verse 4 it says your father made made your our yoke heavy now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us and we will serve you we know the rest of the history what has happened people had to cry out because of the king they had appointed but god did not answer instead the kingdom was divided into two and in verse 19 to 22 we see israel's sin of rebellion now in, in spite of samuel's sober warning the people refused to listen, listen to him and reaffirm their demand for their king their demand for the king is now emphasized by additional functions of a king to go out before us and fight our battles as a military leader this is a stark contrast to what is happened in the chapter 7 where god himself was the 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 warrior for them and answered their prayer of samuel and they could defeat uh, the philistines now 20 years later they wanted now to replace god as their human military leader an obstinate who, people who don't want to listen to the warning here we see the the third sin the sin of rebellion for such people there is no hope now god further confirms the people's request and asks samuel to obey their word the chapter ends with attention and samuel disperses the crowd while the Uh, people waits the fate of their demand you would expect that you know in the next would be samuel went about searching for a king however we see while the fate of the nation was in hung in balance the reader is introduced to a young man named saul who is looking for a lost donkey now in chapter 9 we see god's providence in giving them a king israel's uh, verse 1 and 2 of chapter uh chapter 9 we see israel's first king was outward outwardly impressive but was f- 
but has fatally flawed pedigree now chapter 9 uh, introduces man named kish now if you look at chapter 1 and chapter 9 there is a striking similarity between those two chapters if you can turn to a bible you can understand that chapter 1 of samuel begins with there was a certain man in chapter 9 it is there was a man then it goes on to describe four generations of the ancestry of that man in chapter 1 four generations of elkana is described whereas in chapter 9 four generations of kish is told in the following verses of chapter 1 we see the birth of samuel as a as a last judge from a barren woman which was a amazing providence from god whereas in chapter 9 we see the god's providence in finding the the first king of israel and there is in the in the hebrew uh, there is a similarity in their in their meaning as well the shaul uh, it means that to ask for which was given in the hebrew bible in the first chapter itself these similarities are in fact introduced to bring stark contrast between these two chap these two people samuel and saul the contrast is clearly evident when we compare the leadership of samuel uh, the leadership role they played samuel in the first seven chapters as a successful leader versus saul in the subsequent chapter as a disastrous leader now description of saul in verse 2 is very fascinating he is presented as a young handsome and a tall tall man no one in the israel is able to come up to his shoulder height in short he was from a wealthy well to do family and he was physically impressive if a king is to be distinguished on on a physical appearance and on physical aspect then saul is in every inch the best king who, uh, they could find as we say most eligible candidate for kingship scripture usually does not give much details about the appearance of people so this extended description of uh, saul was to highlight his flaws in his character now saul was from the tribe of benjamin that was well known for its involvement in a notorious crime in the history of israel from judges chapter 19 on it recounts the rape of a concubine of man from the tribe of levi by a gang presumably by the leaders of gibeah from the tribe of benjamin the act of act of men of gibeah are resonant to what sodom and gomorrah has done during the time of lot on top of this the the tribe of benjamin protected the culprits and they did not bring them out for punishment this resulted in the civil war between the benjamin and the 11 tribes uh, of israel from that war uh, 26000 uh, able men of his uh, benjamin was cut off and it was reduced to just 600 people killing all the other people including women and children the tribe of benjamin was almost wiped out because of their sinfulness you remember saul telling in verse 22 i am from the least of the tribe the saul this tribe of benjamin became least because of this saul from the tribe of benjamin and from the town of gibeah had a notorious historical background so it was not a coincidence that the first king according to people's choice belonged to the tribe of benjamin and from the land of gibeah god gave them the king who is outwardly impressive just like all the other nations 
but from the most deprived and spiritually corrupt tribe. This was a means of judgment on the people of Israel. When God rejected Saul and chosen God, David as a man after his own heart, God was specific to give a command to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height. Now in verses 3 to 14, we see God's providence reveals Israel's first king, while Saul's incompetence exposed as a leader. Now from verse 3 on, we read about the incident where Kish loses his donkeys and Saul, his son, is on a search mission on that. Saul and his servant evidently searched far and wide, but in vain. After a fruitless and frustrating three-day search, they entered the district of Suf. If you remember, Suf is mentioned as the fourth ancestor of Samuel. It is the prophet's home region and located just eight kilometers from where the Gibeah was. Saul rec- recommended that the, the search mission will be called, should be called up because their father will be you know, worried about them rather than the donkeys. But Saul's servant suggested an alternate plan that they should be seeking and help from the nearby prophet of God to, uh, to find the donkeys. Now, Saul was initially unwilling to visit the prophet because he didn't have money to give, give him. But uh, his servant offered a quarter of shekel, so they both set out to, uh, for Ramah, the town where the man of God was. We can glean three insights from the interaction between Saul and his servant uh, in verse 6 to 10. First, the future king's profound ignorance of Samuel. Though Samuel, though Samuel lived just a few kilometers from uh, where Saul was, he was well known to all Israelites, as we see in chapter 3, verse 20. Even Saul's young servant knows, this, know, know, that, know him. He was unknown to Saul. Secondly, Saul's failure to consider seeking divine help in the, in the trials of life. It was Saul's servant who suggested that to see the spiritual guidance from the Samuel, not Saul. The future, uh, the future king's life at this point was devoid of spiritual sensitivity that looked God for help. And thirdly, Saul's assumption that spiritual favors had to be bought. Now verse 11 to 13, we see a lengthy and detailed conversation of young uh, women with Saul about oh, what is the future plans of uh, Samuel is going to be. Interestingly, all these uh, predictions of Samuel itinerary were true. Now in verse 14, we see the historic meeting of Samuel, the last judge of Israel, and the Saul, the first king. Ancient Israeli patriarchs were often referred to as shepherds. Scripture depicts them as, uh, Scripture depicts Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses as, as skillful uh, shepherds. Saul's unfitness, unfitness to lead Lord's people was, is foreshadowed by portraying him as a bad shepherd, a metaphorical image of an incompetent and disastrous leader. So great was his incompetence that he could not even find few large animals that, that wandered away from his family, uh, father's house, which ultimately returned to the father's house without his assistance. And while he was searching, he needed the assistance of a servant. From Saul's perspective, Saul went looking for a donkey, but he came back as king. From God's perspective, 
Saul searching for the long lost donkeys was God's providence to Samuel to find the first king of Israel. It was not Samuel looking for a king. We see God's providence working through different people in bringing about the first king of Israel. If Saul went searching alone, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have met Samuel because he didn't know him for the first place and he wanted to abandon the search. Secondly, if search if a servant went alone, Samuel wouldn't have met Saul as well. Had they not met the ladies, they wouldn't have known Samuel Saitnari as well. Not to forget the very incident of losing the donkey, the missing of the donkey was provision from God and finding in spite not finding in spite of extensive search was also a providence from God. Now I'll just put a short snippet of uh, what God's providence is. Lenten Baptist Confession of uh, 1644 defines God's providence in chapter 5. Let me got some snippets for you so that we can quickly glean some things from that. God, the good creator of all things in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things from the greatest to the least by his perfectly wise and holy providence to, to the purpose for which they were created. All things, will come to, all things come to pass unchangeably and certainly in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God. Thus nothing happens to anyone by chance or outside of God's providence. In this narrative, each of the individuals are perfectly at their liberty to follow their course in their own desire. Yet God's sovereign decrees accomplished through the agency of man. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 puts both these truths perfectly well. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. From the short narrative about Saul and his lost donkey, we are learning two crucial lessons. First, Israel's first king is physically impressive, but is an incompetent leader, not fit to lead Israel, uh, the people of Israel spiritually. When he became king, we know that he evidenced that as well. He made rash wars that almost killed his son Jonathan. He, look, he took Levitical priestly ministry into his hands. He did not follow the instructions to annihilate Amalekites. He did not show godly courage and leadership to fight with Goliath. He consulted Medium. Finally, he had a tragic end when he committed suicide to end his life. Saul failed to follow the fundamental guidelines of the God's law. Forty years of his rule was a judgment God gave upon them. Secondly, we see the God's outworking of providence through regular events for fulfilling a larger purpose in his, in his plan. Even when Israel rejected God, his providence for them did not fail. In the story we have seen today, we see that Israel's predicament for the need for a king. That was Israel's pretext in asking for a king. In, his, in response, God decreased the punishment for their demand and warned them for their, of their choices. But Israel proceeded against the, God's warning. God's providence will reveal the first kings to give them, give them their first king. Let me conclude with a personal testimony which I have experienced in my life. I personally experienced God's goodness in my life where I had jumped into a business decision without much discerning with on what I was getting into. 
rather i could have waited god more waited for god and trusted in him and discerned whether i had to get into this particular business relationship or not even with the right intentions and best intent interest of that person i was getting into my decision was foreshadowed by uh, by the fact that this person was person is a christian even though the outcome was unpleasant affect me not only me my family also god turned it for good in his sovereignty yet i had to face the consequence of the mental trauma i had to go through which took a while for me to recover only by his healing it took many months for me to heal our life is not a series of the best decisions we have made yet god in his providence and goodness have turned our follies that could have gone worse to something good we couldn't even imagine this is something i can testify myself because i have experienced god's goodness in my life and his sovereignty overrules everything maybe you have a similar story all this shows that god is sovereign over everything and he executes his wise purpose for his glory what is the crux of the message what we learned today there might be several human reasons for us to have certain desires in our life to be fulfilled but we should be careful to introspect and see what are the underlying motives are we looking for conformity with the world and looking to replace god in our life and take charge of our life are we desiring really god's will in our life god is absolutely sovereign he is sovereign even in our sinfulness god might give us up on our sinful desire as a judgment on us god is neither surprised by our sinful and nor he endorses it yet he accomplishes his purpose his wise purpose through it we must remember that all sin has its dire consequences god is sovereign even over insignificant events in our life his providence outworks through our actions our god in the bible is not a god who created the universe who just inter- sitting up in the heaven just interface in some of the aspect of our life our god in our god is sovereign over every maverick molecule of this universe and he is intimately present in every tiny detail of my life and in your life too so let's submit our life to his kingship and allow him to indeed reign over us and if any one of you is not known this god who is sovereign may i invite you to put your trust in this god and submit your life to him before we play and cross i would want us to sing one song which really uh, spoke to me as well uh, lord reign in me may the words of this song be the cry of our heart
thank you god for speaking to the very need of our heart lord we admit that we often grow impatient for the on the problems what we were going through and took things in our hand sometimes we desire the conformity with the world and replace you in being the god over our life and king over us lord we repent of our sin of making you too small and allowing you to take full control of our life lord help us to grasp the truth of your sovereignty in our life and live a holy life abiding in that truth lord may this be a this day be a day where we submit our life to your kingship and allowing you to truly reign in us lord commit all these things in your mighty hands thank you for again speaking to us we ask all these things in the name of jesus christ